I'm your host, William Tapley, also known as the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse. Stop, the stop, 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 stop. You cannot make it look like William Tapley is supporting our program. Sorry, folks. Chris Roseborough here, just to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and financial contributions in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. And no, William Tapley is not our spokesperson. Uh, if you don't already support us financially, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. And when you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, on to the program. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Monday, November 5th, 2012, day before the election here in the United States, and I have no clue what's going to happen, none whatsoever. Yeah, zero prophecy skills. Yeah, if I predict the future, it's just because I can see a trend and, and, you know, make assumptions accordingly. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically help you to think critically and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there are a lot of folks out there saying some very blasphemous things about God. Um, when we think about the um, the commandment that says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. What does that mean? Now, I've talked about this regularly here at Fighting for the Faith, and if you're new to Fighting for the Faith, you may not be aware of the fact that Taking God's name in vain is most often uh, a sin that occurs in church while somebody is on stage or behind a pulpit, okay? Blaspheming God's name is when you are stealing his name and slapping it on to a false teaching, and you're teaching falsely regarding God. That is the primary idea that's going on here. Uh, Think of it this way. Um, From time to time, we all get the... um, the news stories that come across our news readers or the newspapers about some outfit that was busted by international people for uh, for trademark infringement. Okay, um, have you ever been to uh, New York City or to a flea market and somebody tried to sell you a Gucci bag? You know, a Gucci handbag for a mere fifteen dollars. You think fifteen dollars for a Gucci? Wow, is Gucci still in vogue? By the way, I'm just saying that because. <laughs> When I was growing up, you know, if, if a woman had a Gucci, I mean, that supposedly that was like a big deal. I, I don't understand it. But it, <laughs> well, why is a Gucci a big deal? Anyway, so you know, you're walking down the street and somebody says, "Hey, 
Hey, hey, you want to you want to buy a Gucci handbag? You go, oh, Gucci? How much? Fifteen, fifteen dollars. And you think that's just amazing. So you know, you hand over the fifteen dollars and you get your Gucci handbag. And you know, it's um, not really a Gucci. It's somebody who's taken the Gucci label and the Gucci design and stuck it on something inferior in quality and designed to look and mimic the, like the. See, no one really knows the difference. Who cares if you paid fifteen bucks for a faux Gucci? As long as you've got the Gucci, right? You know, that word is starting to bug me. Anyway, so the, the idea is this, okay, is that uh, taking God's name in vain is trademark infringement, okay? It's taking the, the name of God, okay, God's designer label, and using it to create the, inf- the impression that false inferior, low-quality, the satanic, man-made, humanist, traditionalist ideas are really what God wants you to do, uh, to to say, to think, to believe, whatever, you you know, our actions or whatever. You say, you know, let me give you an example, okay? You know, I just got a a direct revelation from God, and, and and he wants you to, you know, and then fill in the blank, Okay. Uh, write a check. Uh, go feed the poor. Go, you know, whatever. Okay. If the if the, the the blank is not what really God's word says, and by the way, it wouldn't if you're claiming direct revelation. Then what you're doing is you're taking God's name, the name of God, God's credentials, His authority, His power, His everything that is associated with the one true God, and you're slapping it on something that's false. That's what it means to take God's name in vain, to teach falsely and to blame it on God. So, you know, if I were to say God wants you to go out and buy grilled cheese sandwiches and to get a George Foreman grill, God has not ordained any such things, you, well, then that's blasphemy. That's taking God's name in vain. So when we think about God's name being taken in vain, oftentimes the only thing that comes to mind is somebody sitting on their cell phone, you know, their cell phone or their uh, their smartphone, their iPhone or their Android or whatever, and type, you know, somebody sends a, a funny you know, picture to them on their phone in a text message, and they and they fire back, "OMG, haha!" <laughs> See, there you go. That's taking God's name in vain. Well, yeah, that that is, but that is like straining out a gnat to swallow a camel. I mean, that's missing the whole point. Okay, where God's name is taken in vain the most, primarily. Well, Christian television in lots of books that are sold by Christian publishers. Um, well, um, by pastors who pastor churches that call themselves Christian. Those, see, that's the idea. All of that is blasphemy and taking God's name in vain when they teach falsely about God. So what we do on this program is we stop, we listen to what people are saying, we open up our Bible, and we compare the assertions they're making regarding God, regarding Jesus, regarding Christianity, and compare to what God's Word says in context. If it passes the test, then it's sound doctrine. You, you ought to believe it. This is stuff that uh, we need to be telling the world about and ought to be taught everywhere, in, a, in every church, right? But if it doesn't pass the biblical sniff test, then it doesn't matter how popular, how likable, how nice the... Um, the pastor or teacher who's spouting off the false doctrine is doesn't matter how shiny their teeth are, whether or not their hair can survive an F5 tornado. It doesn't matter. 
What matters is whether or not it squares with God's word. If it doesn't pass muster, it's to be rejected, to be rebuked, and to be shunned within the visible church. But unfortunately, we live in days where the most egregious forms of blasphemy, the most satanic of doctrines, the most erroneous of teachings are being, well, they're growing by such leaps and bounds that they're becoming the predominant teachings within the visible church in many places. And this should not be. And so what we teach you to do here is to stop, slow down, listen, compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God, and hopefully it results in something happening in your life. It could be resulting in you having your eyes open and set free from a false teacher and finding a church where the biblical gospel is being preached. It might result in you uh, praying for and confronting your friends and lovingly helping them to see that the church that they're a part of uh, really isn't teaching sound doctrine and that they're in more grave spiritual danger. Or it may result in you having to have um, a, a conversation with your pastor, an uncomfortable one that needs to be had. Um, it may result in uh, in elders deciding to vote to get rid of a pastor who's teaching errant doctrine. You see, it, it might it might result in you being persecuted. It might be it might result in you, even though you're believing and teaching the truth, to be shunned and to be persecuted and to. Um, yeah, see this this see li- listening to fighting for the faith. I got to tell you, this is a dangerous program. You listen to this program, things in your life could most likely get worse, not better. So thinking, why? Why are you saying such a thing? Because a theologian of the cross says what a thing is. I'm not going to well, paint uh, my little pony colored rainbows for you. I'm going to tell you the truth. This program is, we try to have fun, but it's also deadly serious. And what happens on this program um, and what you learn on this program could have some very severe consequences. It may result in you taking up your cross and following Christ. And see, when somebody takes up their cross, um, you know where they're heading. It's, they're not heading to their best life now. They're heading to something different, and that's exactly what Christ has called us to. All right, let's talk about what we're going to do on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. We've got a three-pronged approach today with kind of a little fourth thing thrown in there for uh, <clears throat> for good measure. What we're going to be doing today is um, I'm going to begin – We're going to, Joel Osteen was on Oprah's Live class last night. Now, even though I want to play for you audio sound bites from Joel Osteen's appearance on Oprah's Live class last night, I have opted to instead circle back – and play for you the opening to the sermon that Oprah referenced last week. And then tomorrow we will be playing the sound bites uh, with uh, Joel Osteen talking about the importance of dreaming big dreams. And, you know, he and Oprah were talking about the importance of dreaming big dreams, as if this has anything to do with biblical Christianity. So we got a Joel Osteen update today. Uh, we'll take a break, and then after the break we will come back, and we're going to be listening to uh, Joyce Meyer explain to you kind of the thorny topic of how do you discuss negative things in your life without creating negative things in your life with your words. See, one of the things you're going to learn today is that Joyce Meyer and Joel Osteen teach the same heresy. It's called the word of faith heresy, okay? And it's the idea that your words create reality. If there's bad results and if there's bad problems happening in your life, you know, uh, your dog has uh, run away, uh, your cat has fleas, uh, your, your, your wife, uh, you know, went and got a haircut that you don't like. I mean, if these types of things are happening to you, 
And we'll see, you know, what's the reason why you're having all these negative results is because, well, your negative words have create the, created this negative world in your life. And so the solution is positive words. We're going to hear Joel Osteen Oprah talk about I am. And uh, you, you're going to hear this and you're going to hear this theology. And then you're going to have, you know, in our second portion of the program, the first hour, you're going to hear Joyce Meyer uh, answer listener emails to her program because she believes the same false doctrine that Joel Osteen teaches and explain to the people in her audience, you know, you know, <laughs> how do you, because if you believe that your words create reality, then the question is, how do you discuss negative things in your life without, well, creating negative things? And so <laughs> we're going to be listening to Joyce Myers, yeah, almost superstitious advice is yeah, but that's the way. It's, I mean, seriously, y'all ever run across somebody who is truly superstitious? You know, they're throwing salt over shoulders and knocking on wood, and you know, weird things like that, right? Well, the the, uh, the word of faith heretics—they're the same way. They're very superstitious about their words. They don't want to create a negative reality. So, you know, you got to come up with strategies, strategies for you know finding a way to discuss. You know, the you know, things in your life aren't exactly going swell. So how do you verbalize that without creating more unswellness? <laughs> yeah. So and then in hour number two, we're going to be going back up to Minnesota to Passion Church. Jonathan Brozog will be listening to a sermon of his called I'm Not Afraid of the Dark. And <laughs> the only way I could describe this sermon <laughs> is that. It's stream of consciousness. I mean, I, I, I have reviewed sermons in the past where, that are similar to this one, where it's just one incoherent, unlinked thought connected to the next and then spewed out. It's stream of consciousness preaching. And if anything, my hope is that uh, after hearing Jonathan Brozog do a stream of consciousness sermon, that it will dissuade you from ever wanting to hear one. And if you're thinking about preaching one, <laughs> you will never commit such an egregious sin against the body of Christ. So with that, we are going to dive into the program proper. We have got, um, well, not too much ground to cover, but enough that uh, you, you might want to put on your <clears throat> protective gear and things like that. Here's uh, Chip Skylark and uh, My Shiny Teeth to help uh, intro us to our <clears throat> Joel Osteen segment. Here we go. When I'm feeling lonely, sad as I can be, all by myself in uncharted island in an endless sea. What makes me happy fills me up with glee. Those bones in my jaw don't have a flaw, my shiny teeth and me. My shiny teeth that twinkle just like the stars in space. My shiny teeth that sparkle, adding beauty to my face. Shiny teeth that glisten Just like a Christmas tree You know they walk a mile Just to see me smile Woo! Shiny teeth and me yeah, That's right, that's our Joel Osteen Update music Still just makes me happy <laughs> I play that song. Anyway, um, so, all right, so Oprah and Joel Osteen have been um, just yucking it up on uh, Oprah's life class. And last week, if you listened to our I Am segment, you, then you heard Pastor Joel Osteen talking about the power of the, the I Am statements and, and how uh, Oprah was so excited about these I Am statements that it, it literally just changed her life. She was experiencing life transformation there on the spot. Well, turns out that earlier in the year, Oprah attended 
um, Joel Osteen's church um, out there, Lakewood. And um, and when she attended there, she heard Joel Osteen, Joel Joel Osteen preach this sermon entitled The Power of I Am, The Power of I Am. And so what I think would be helpful if, uh, you know, for today's edition of Fighting for the Faith, as we get into tomorrow, see, tomorrow we're going to actually t- look, look at Joel Osteen's appearance last night on the life class. But I think we need to do just a little bit more um, foundational work. And so we're going to be listening to Joel Osteen, the opening to this sermon called The Power of I Am, so that you can get a clear and succinct, uh, uh, complete with shiny teeth explanation of this I am doctrine that um, Joel Osteen preaches. So without any further ado, here's Joel Osteen and his part of his sermon entitled the power of I am. Well, God bless you. It's a joy to come into your homes. We love you. If you're ever in our area, please stop by and be a part of one of our services. I promise you, we'll make you feel right at home. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thank you again for coming out. I like to start with something funny. And I heard about this 92-year-old man. He wasn't feeling up to par, and he went to the doctor for a checkup. A few days later, the doctor saw him out walking in the park. He had this beautiful young lady by his side, and he seemed as happy as can be. The doctor said, wow, you sure are feeling a lot better, aren't you? He said, yes, doctor, I'm just taking your orders. You said, get a hot mama and be cheerful. The doctor said, I didn't say that. I said, you got a heart murmur. Be careful. (laughs) Hold up your Bible. Say it like you mean it. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I will be taught the word of God. No, you won't. I don't know why anyone attending Lakewood would actually bring a Bible to Lakewood. They're not going to be taught the Word of God. That's not true. That this whole little creed of his, this is my Bible. That is the uh, to create the impression, the false impression that what he's going to be doing is actually teaching God's Word. What he does is he has people hold up their Bibles. Oh well, wow! This is so great. I'm so What a great guy Joel Osteen is. He boldly believes in the Bible. If he believed what the Bible taught, then he'd teach what the Bible teaches. But he doesn't. He teaches something very different. So this is part of the deception. This is to create the impression that Joel Osteen is a bold and unapologetic teacher of the Word of God when he's anything but. Boldly confess my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, God bless you. I want to talk to you today about the power of I am. What follows these two simple words will determine what kind of life you live. I am blessed. I am strong. I am healthy. Or I am slow. I am unattractive. I am a terrible mother. The I am's that are coming out of your mouth will bring either success or failure. Okay, succinctly said. Now, if you haven't heard last week's episode of Fighting for the Faith regarding Joel Osteen and the I am, okay, um, I take time to explain to you biblically, show you from the Bible, that the I am who is mentioned in Scripture 
is God himself. This is, you know, when Moses, you know, had the burning bush talk to him. Okay, it was actually God speaking to him. And during that conversation, Moses asked God what his name was, and God revealed his name there as I am. Okay, Jesus uses this name for himself repeatedly, much to the consternation and offense of the Pharisees in John chapter 8. I would recommend reading it. Okay, but I'm not going to rehash all of that theology right now. We're making a different point. And that is, is that you're, Joel Osteen here has basically led off with presenting a problem. Okay, so the problem he's presented is this, is that are you having negative things happen in your life? Well, it's because of the power of I am. If negative things are happening in your life, it's because you're saying things regarding yourselves like yourself like, I am slow, I am not smart, I am weak, I am miserable, I am whatever, okay? And so the idea is, is that those words, those statements create the negative results in your life. Whereas if you're blessed and doing well, then obviously you're saying things to yourself like, I am successful, I am strong, I am a more than a conqueror, things like that, okay? Now, here's the question. Does the Bible teach that the reason why mankind is suffering and languishing under negative... And see, I, I, it's talking about this in this way, so trite, it, it, suffering with negative consequences in their lives. For instance, disease, poverty, death, okay, broken marriages, broken family relationships, skewed friendships, horrible boss situations. We can even talk about things like slavery, adultery, uh, you know, murder and theft and all these things going on. Is the reason why there's all of these problems in life is because there's a whole bunch of people out there who are completely oblivious to the power that their words have, and as a result of it, they've created these negative situations with their words. And so Jesus has come to teach us the importance of saying positive things about ourselves so that we can have radical life transformation, positive results and blessings flow to us because we say good things about ourselves. The answer is absolutely not. God's word paints a very different picture of what it is that is wrong with humanity. And the, the reason why there is death, the reason why there is disease, the reason why there is poverty, theft, murder, adultery, and all of the horrible things that happen to us in our lives is a result of our sin and our rebellion against God. The wages of sin is death. And sin and death, well... It has a way of doling out its payments, you know, not just in one balloon payment, but little down payments along the way with loss of health, you know, <laughs> complete terrible things that happen to us in our lives. Not only that, the solution that the scriptures provide us for our sin problem and its consequences is none other than, than the Son of God himself, okay? The solution is Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, and then suffering under Pontius Pilate, being crucified, died, and buried, and then raised again on the third day 
for our sins and for our justification. The call of the gospel, the biblical gospel, is for sinners to repent of their sin and for their sins to be forgiven by the shed blood of Christ. That's the solution that Scripture presents. So what Joel Osteen here is preaching is flat-out mythology. And here's the deal. His program purports to be Christian. Remember, he held up his Bible. He says, it says what it says it says and does what it does it does, you know, and all that kind of stuff, right? So he's purporting to be a Christian pastor, but he's not teaching what the Bible teaches regarding what humanity's primary problem is and what the biblical solution is. This is a solution without Jesus Christ. This is you becoming your own Savior. That's how diabolical this is. So listen some more as Joel Osteen expresses the power of I am and doesn't mention the I am of Scripture, and that's Jesus, God in human flesh. All through the day, the power of I am is at work. We make a mistake. I am so clumsy. We look in the mirror. Notice he didn't say that the power of I am is at work. That would be the power of Jesus because Jesus is the I am. Jesus said, unless you believe that I am, egoing me, you will die in your sins. He's not talking about Jesus. He's talking about almost like, well, a magic spell. The power of I am is like, well, abracadabra. This is the power of abracadabra. I am so old. We see somebody very talented. I am so average. We get caught in traffic. I am so unlucky. Many times we use the power of I am against us. We don't realize how it's affecting our future. Here's the principle. What follows the I am will always come looking for you. When you say, I am so clumsy, clumsiness comes looking for you. I am so old, wrinkles come looking for you. I am so overweight, calories come looking for you. It's just like you're inviting them. Okay, now notice he said this is the principle. The Bible doesn't teach this. This is not what Scripture says at all. This is magic. This is man-made teaching. This is false doctrine. This is a false problem and a pseudo-false gospel. Whatever you follow the I am with, you're handing it an invitation, opening the door, giving it permission to be in your life. Now, the good news is you get to choose what follows the I am. Notice he didn't say the good news is that Christ died on the cross for your sins. When Christians talk about the good news, the gospel, that's what the word gospel means. It comes from the Greek word euangelion. It means good news. When Christians talk about the good news, the good news is the news that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures and was buried and raised again on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That's the good news. It is a proclamation of what Christ has done. But see, he says, oh no, the good news is you get to choose what you fill in the blank after the words I am are. When you go through the day saying, I am blessed, blessings come looking for you. I am talented. Talent comes looking for you. You may not feel up to par, but when you say, I am healthy, health starts heading your way. I am strong, strength starts tracking you down. You're inviting that into your life. 
That's why you have to be careful what follows the I am. Don't ever say, I am so unlucky. I never get any good breaks. You're inviting disappointments. I am so broke. I am so in debt. You are inviting struggle. You're inviting lack. You need to send out some new invitations. Get up in the morning and invite good things into your life. I am blessed. I am strong. I am talented. I am disciplined. I am focused. I am prosperous. When you talk like that, talent gets summoned by Almighty God. Go find that person. Health, strength, abundance, discipline. Start. Notice what's missing. An open Bible. The Bible doesn't teach this at all. So there's God up in heaven just wanting to help you. But you, you've got to activate his blessings by saying things like, I am talented. And as soon as you say that, then God's up in heaven going, oh, finally, I've been wanting to give that person talent forever. And uh, talent, go find that person. Did you hear that? Somebody just said they're talented. Go quick. Go find that person and bless them with talent. The Bible doesn't teach this anywhere. It's heading your way. But how many people, when they wake up in the morning, look in the mirror, the first thing they say, I am so old. I am so wrinkled. I am so worn out. You are inviting oldness. You're inviting fatigue. What a total crock. These are flat out lies. The Bible doesn't teach this. Do us all a favor. Stop inviting that. When you get up in the morning, look in the mirror, instead of complaining, you should be saying, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am attractive. I am getting younger. Could there be anything more narcissistic than this? I don't think that there can be. And see, the thing is, is that Joel Osteen comes off as just being the most humble and likable guy ever. But let me ask you a question, okay? Is whether or not somebody is humble based upon the tone of their voice or the content of their words, okay? For instance, okay, let's just say that I said something like, well, let me think, okay, okay, I've discovered it, okay? <clears throat> I, I play disc golf, okay? So, okay, I like disc golf so much. It's my favorite summertime and fall-time activity Winter and spring don't get to participate in it much, but I so I can say something like now work with me here. So if you were to come to me and say, Chris, you know, tell us about disc golf, and I could say, oh, it's a great game. In fact, I am the best disc golf player in the whole world. You'd look at me and go, oh, well, he's kind of full of himself, right? But what if I said it like this? Yeah, disc golf is just the best thing ever, you know, and and you know. I am just the best disc golfer in the whole world. It's just my favorite sport. You see, I said the same thing, right? Except for one way I said one the one of the ways I said it, the tone I used was kind of snarky and and you know full of myself. The other was feigning, pretending to be humble. Yeah, you know, I just love disc golf. I'm the best disc golf player in the whole world. <laughs> you sit there and go. Oh, well, you see, but see, that's what Joel Osteen's doing. Listen to the content of his words, okay? And tell me how humble he really is. 
is humility based upon the tone of the voice or the meaning of the words that you say? Let me back this up so that you can kind of ask yourself this question. Is he truly humble or is Joel Osteen not one of the most self-absorbed, narcissistic people you have ever heard? Let me back this up. You're inviting fatigue. Do us all a favor. Stop inviting that. When you get up in the morning, look in the mirror. Instead of complaining, you should be saying, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am attractive. I am getting younger. You talk like that and God will renew your youth. I know people, the older they... Really? So if I, if I look in the mirror and I go, man, I am just thin and I am the handsomest guy in the whole world, God's going to go, oh, finally now I can bless him with weight loss and with a more chiseled chin and better looks. Where in the Bible does it say any of this? Show me where in Scripture the apostles taught this this doctrine. Show me in the history of the ancient church and the church fathers where this was the doctrine that Christianity embraced, taught, confessed, and that martyrs died for. That's right. Christian, all of Christian history is marked with martyrs, people who have paid the ultimate sacrifice, which is their lives, okay, to confess and proclaim Jesus Christ. Who would rather die proclaiming Jesus than live having denied him? Is, is this why the martyrs died? Was this the doctrine that they bled for? Was this the doctrine that Christians were thrown to the wild beasts in the Roman arenas? Was this the doctrine that Christians were literally bathed in tar and then lit on fire to become tiki torches for outdoor parties for Nero and, and people like that? Is, that? is this the doctrine that they died for? They get the more attractive they are. A lot has to do with our attitude. The other day, our daughter Alexandra had a copy of my first book from 2004, and she was comparing the picture to my new book that was just released. She said, Daddy, you look better now than you did back then. I said, what would you like me to buy you? Oh, the wonders of Photoshop. I was with my college roommate last week. He said, Joel, what are you doing? You're getting taller. You're growing. I said, I received that. And... Again, ask the question. He says it in such a, ah, oh, shucks, kind of humble kind of way. But the words that he's saying, if I were to transcribe them and hand them to you and say, not tell you who said them, what would you think of this person? I didn't want to tell him that he's getting shorter. <laughs> but when you go around saying, I am being renewed in my youth. I am full of health, vitality, wholeness. That's one of the best anti-aging treatments you could ever take. My mother's a great example of this. I mentioned how she just turned 78. She still looks fantastic. She's still strong, still energetic, still beautiful. But when you get up in the morning, don't talk about how old you are, how bad you look. Dare to say, 
I am young. I am energetic. I am vibrant. I am radiant. I am fresh. Some of you women have never once said... Notice again, not a single Bible verse to substantiate any of these assertions. Not one. I am beautiful. You're so focused on your flaws and what you don't like about yourself and how you wish you had more here and less there. And I'm not pointing, but you know where I mean. When you say, I am beautiful, beauty comes looking for you. Youth comes looking for you. Freshness comes looking for you. Nobody can do this for you. This is narcissistic mythology. It's got to come out of your own mouth. Listen, ladies, don't go around telling your husbands how unattractive you are. You should never put yourself down, and especially don't put yourself down in front of your own husband. You are his prize. To him, you're the most beautiful woman in the world. Why would you want to tell him anything differently? The last thing he needs to hear is how bad you think you look. Don't put those thoughts in his mind. It's not going to do him nor you any good to discredit yourself. If you keep telling him how bad you look, one day he may believe you. Okay. Now, I'm not going to play the whole sermon. That's pretty much the whole message. Notice, not a single Bible passage to substantiate even one of these allegations. All of this was done in the name of God. God wants you to do this. He will bless you if you say that. You'll be cursed if you say this or you think that, right? No Bible passage says that. Not only was this narcissistic and utterly self-focused and conceited, arrogant like you wouldn't believe, okay? Not only was it all of that, but what you heard here was exactly what the Bible defines as taking God's name in vain. Joel Osteen has hijacked God's name, held up Bibles to create the impression that the God of the universe, that this is what he wants you to believe and this is what he wants you to do. But God has not said any of this. His word doesn't teach this. This isn't what the what Jesus taught. This isn't what the what the disciples and the apostles taught. This isn't what the church has confessed, and this isn't the doctrine that the martyrs have died for. This is something very different. It's satanic. It's deceitful. It's a false gospel, and it sends people to hell. And it doesn't matter how successful he is. He's not successful even in the remotest sense of the word of rightly handling God's word and proclaiming the biblical gospel. Joel Osteen is smiling and happy and faux-humble, not real humble, faux-humble and likable and just the, the nicest guy ever, and yet he's sending people to hell with this teaching. This is not. This is not only not helpful. This is absolute spiritual poison. All right, what we're going to do right now is we are going to take our first break. And during our first break, we're going to be uh, premiering our latest uh, Max Holiday sketch. It, well, 
in honor of Mark Driscoll, the name of the Max Holiday sketch, by the way, is called, called Always Trust Your Pilot. Always Trust Your Pilot. We're going to be uh, premiering that during the break. You don't want to miss that. When we come back, we're going to be doing a Joyce Meyer update. Joyce Meyer believes the same false teaching regarding the power of words that Joel Osteen teaches. And she was asked questions by her audience recently regarding, you know, how do you talk about negative things in your life without creating those types of realities? So you don't want to miss that. We'll, we're going to take our break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Click on the subscribe button, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. We will be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Hey! 
Hey, I have my rights. You can't do this to people. Oh, but I can. I can't believe that just happened. There's something seriously wrong with all of this. Oh, this is your captain speaking. Do not be alarmed. You are now free to move about the cabin and do as you please. Just whatever you do, don't question my actions or authority. So you're a brick salesperson, huh? Yep. But why on earth would you want to talk about something like that at a time like... Ooh. Yeah. I'm thinking it's time that Mr. High and Mighty got relieved of his duties. And it's now time for you all to buckle your seatbelts and hold on tight because we're about to start doing barrel rolls. He's going to do what? <laughs> Remember to always trust your pilots. I know what I'm doing. I do believe the ground is getting awfully close. Hello, I'm Brandon House with Worldview Weekend. I want to invite you to visit our website, worldviewweekend.com, and find out about my brand new book, Religious Trojan Horse. This is a book I've been working on for two and a half years, and it describes in great detail how the left and the right are coming together both religiously and spiritually to build a false dominant church. You can find all the details at worldviewweekend.com. Again, it's Religious Trojan Horse. It's 500 pages over 600 footnotes. Now, while you're at worldviewweekend.com. I'd like you also to check out our Situation Room. You can have access to over $8,000 in Biblical Worldview Weekend resources, including over 1,400 MP3s of my daily radio show and Biblical Worldview Weekend keynote presentations. You can also watch about 150 of our Worldview Weekend DVDs on demand as a member of the Situation Room. Full details for that are at situationroom.net. Situationroom.net. You can also visit our website and find out about our free Biblical Worldview Weekend rallies held all over the country. All the details are at worldviewweekend.com. Do you find it hard to shop for the geek in your life? Well, if so, we have got a fantastic new featured advertiser for you to visit. It's Think Geek. This is a well-thought-out and hilarious gift store. And what you need to do is visit our website first, piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek, and then click on the ad banner, and then a portion of your purchase will actually go to support Pirate Christian Radio. Trust me, these gifts are hilarious, from wacky office gifts to Star Trek paraphernalia to Star Wars stuff, anything that would really kind of light up the life of the geek in your life. Trust me, you'll love it. They're smart funny and the geek in your life will really enjoy them again piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek all right we're back Warning, if you're being told that your words create reality, you're being taught false doctrine. You need to get out of that church quick. Otherwise, you might find yourself in hell. 
just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. We cannot do what we do without it. Moving along. Uh, Wolf Mother, Joker, and the Thief. <clears throat> That's our J- uh, Joyce Meyer update music. Okay, so Joyce Meyer on her uh, t- daily television program uh, recently discussed, well, the, the thorny issue of what if you actually, like her, believe the heresy called the uh, you know word of faith heresy. And um, and you you know things aren't exactly going well, peachy keen in your life, and you want to talk about it. Well, how do you go about talking about, you know, a negative results and not necessarily the best things in your life without accidentally creating a negative reality? Because remember, just like Joel Osteen, Joyce Meyer believes that you create your reality with your words. Well, um, so Joyce Meyer decided to do an, you know, an audience, you know, a question uh, and answer period to address this particular um, awkward and thorny subject. <clears throat> Here's um, Joyce Meyer and uh, uh, her employee ask, answering these questions. Here we go. Welcome to Enjoying Everyday Life. Romans 4.17 says that God speaks of the non-existent things as if they existed. How about you? Yeah, he calls the things that are not as though they were because they exist in his mind. He's God. He, he has the power to create. How do you talk about your future? This whole week, we've been discussing... You know, I don't really talk about my future much. What are you talking about? ...that our words can and do have an impact on our lives and the lives of other people. Later in the program, we'll have some teaching from Winston-Salem, North Carolina, about little phrases that will help us build a better future. But right now, Jen... (laughs) Little phrases that'll help us build a better future. Really? Do you sell magic beans, too? ...has some viewer questions regarding our words. 
Ginger, I bet you got some good questions, don't you? I have some great (laughs) questions today. Thanks for letting us ask them. Yeah, this is uh, Joyce Meyer's employee, Ginger, to ask questions. Uh, You know, well, listen. Um, This comes from Brandy in Denver. And Brandy says, I have a question about the scripture, life and death are in the power of their tongue. How can I share with God my hurts, insecurities, frustrations, and pain in a healthy way? I want to stay honest with him and receive the help that I need, but I don't want to... uh, Speak negative things at the same time. Yeah, I mean, the last thing you want. By the way, that whole, whole thing about life and death are in the power of the tongue. Read it in a good translation in context, and you'll realize that it's not saying that your words have the ability to create life or death in the sense that they're magic or have power. It's talking about speaking unwisely um, in front of authority. Um, but yeah, look it up in context. You'll see what I'm saying. So, so here they go. They they misunderstand this biblical text. They uh, Joyce Meyer teaches falsely uh, the word of faith heresy that your words create reality. And now we've got the thorny issue of wow, you know, boy, this is tricky. The last thing I want to do is mess up my future by speaking negatively, inadvertently, and then boom, cursing myself. One of the things that I tell people is that you can talk about a negative situation in a positive way. God doesn't expect us not to talk to him about the problem or to tell him honestly when we're hurting. The Bible says that he desires truth in the inward being. So you got to speak positively about the negative in your life. So he wants us to be truthful with ourselves and truthful with him and even truthful with other people. If I'm having a problem and you say to me, you look a little... Like maybe something's bothering you, Joyce. Are you okay? I don't need to lie to you. I can say, yeah, I'm going through something right now. But, you know, I really believe that God's on top of it if I'm praying and, and I believe he's going to work it out. I don't have to get negative about it. So, yes, we can talk to God about whatever's bothering us. But at the same time, we can say, but I, I know that your word is true. And I believe that you're going to work in this situation. If there's something you need me to do, please show me. Mm-hmm. Do you also just question, do you believe that when you're walking down the sidewalk, if you step on a crack, that it'll break your mama's back? I'm curious. Do you believe that doctrine, by the way? Um, yeah, I'd be curious to see if you avoid all of the cracks while you're walking down the sidewalk. It's the same idea. And work through me to enable me to do it. And I trust you. Right. I trust you and I believe it will all work out yeah. good. Well, there's a really important key in there that you're saying is God does want us to be truthful. Yes. You know, we, we have to be real. Yes. Yeah, but just don't say say negative things that will attract the negative to you. Tim, exactly. and even with our, our friends and people we love, but we can't be throwing out those negative feelings everywhere we go. Yeah, and I think sometimes uh, Christians maybe who believe in positive confession are making sure... Positive confession. That's another term for the word of faith. Heresy. She's a heretic. She teaches heresy this the bible doesn't teach this concept this is magic this is mythology this is man-made human tradition this is not biblical teaching nor is it sound christian doctrine and the bible doesn't teach it and the and the church has not, has not taught this until these folks showed up they say the right thing if you get if you get too spiritually weird with that, you know, yeah. it can come across wrong to people, especially people who don't understand. Mm-hmm. And, and so they begin to think, well, you're not real. You're not even dealing with real life. I mean, you're not even telling the truth. That's why I think it's important to be truthful, but to be positive. And also, 
We don't have to talk about our problems and talk about them 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 and talk about them. You know, even with God, we can tell him, you know, I'm I'm really hurting or, you know, tomorrow I can say I'm still really hurting, you know, but I believe that you're. Ooh, got to be careful there. Joel Osteen just said that if you say I am hurting, that you're going to send hurt your way. Same concept, right? Taking care of this. We can always talk about it in a positive way. All right. Well, here's another question. This comes from Norman in Ontario, Canada. And he says, I'm one of those whose mouth has caused me plenty of grief. Uh, (laughs) Not your sin. It's your mouth. Yeah. He's honest. I can be a mumbling complainer, but the biggest mouth problem I have is interrupting my friends and it drives them crazy. Do you have any tools to help me to be a better listener? Well, first of all, I think recognizing the problem is step one. Praying about it on a daily basis is step two. And then hopefully this is not going to hurt his feelings if he's watching the program today. But I've had a tendency to interrupt also because I like to talk. (laughs) And sadly, sometimes I've liked to talk more than I've liked to listen. But the older I get, the more I realize that it's excessive talking that always gets us in trouble. So I'm getting better every day. There's my positive confession. But there it is. Yeah, she's getting better every day, every day in every way. I'm getting better and better. <clears throat> yeah, I saw that on one of the Pink Panther movies. Uh, Inspector Chief Inspector Dreyfus tried using that when he was in the psycho bin and didn't really help him out much. Uh, I think that pride is part of it, too. I think that sometimes we just think that what we have to say is more important than what the other person has to say. So we just want them to be quiet so we can say what we want to say. So maybe just really coming to grips with, am I dealing with an issue of pride here? Because until the root of the problem is taken care of, it will keep mm-hmm. cropping up. So that would be my suggestion, would be to really study some of the things the Bible says about yeah. pride and humility. and That and, has to teach us something. You know. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious, would you consider that a sin? Because you've said over and over again, I am not poor, I am not miserable, and I am not a sinner. Would somebody who is being prideful um, and, you know, hurting people's feelings with their words, um, would that be a sin? Look at it that way. Yeah, and really yeah. ask God, you know, show me that, that what I want to say is not any more important than what other people are saying. Right. And I need to be willing to listen with a humble attitude. Yeah. Oh, that's helpful. I love this question. <laughs> this is from Dane. And Dane says, hi, Joyce. I'm 10 years old. <laughs> and I have a question I hope you can answer. If you get called names a lot... And you get used to it and you just ignore it. Will those bad words affect me a long time from now? Phys- <laughs> so here we got, he's being bullied with words. And now he's afraid of the power of all of those negative words from bullies. Mentally and emotionally. That's a great question it from is. a 10-year-old. I think this 10-year-old is way ahead of the game. <laughs> and I would say this, if you take them into yourself and believe them, yes, they can affect you. If you're in a situation where you cannot say anything back to the person who's saying them to you, if it's a an authority figure mm-hmm. in his life, or or maybe it's even some kids at school, but Bullies, he knows it's going right. to be useless to right. say anything to them, then what I would do if I were him is when people say things like that to him, he can say within himself, well, God, I know that's not true. I know that I have gifts and talents and abilities, and I know that you love me and you've created me, and I believe that you're going to use me to do great things. So I think it's just a matter of... There you go. Yeah, it's a matter of what you believe, (laughs) and you you can't believe everything that everybody says. So notice, what's our Savior 
in this theology. You are your own Savior, and more specifically, your words are your Savior, not Jesus Christ. The things that you say about yourself, those are the things that either make your future great and, quote, save you. Notice that the saving here is saving you from temporal misery, or your words create misery because they're negative and they create a false reality. But ultimately, you are your own savior. More specifically, your words are the thing that save you. They're the things that have the power. Yeah, you don't need a Jesus for this. You don't need a crucified and risen savior for this at all. You just need to have a positive mental attitude and the ability to voice positive, amazing affirmations about yourself. So, yeah, that's the gist of these questions. I mean, how do you, how do you deal with the, the day-to-day complexities uh, of making sure that you say positive things? And what if people are saying negative things to you? Can they destroy your future with their words? This is mythology. This is human teaching. This isn't what the Bible teaches. And all the questions that are coming as a result of it, the ones that you just heard there, well, they make perfect sense. But see, the, the biblical answer to all of this is this. This isn't what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that all of the suffering and misery that we experience in this life are the result and consequences of sin. And that the solution is a crucified and risen Savior. And we're called to repent of our sin and trust in him for the forgiveness of our sins. That's the solution. Not positive affirmations about how God has big things for your life. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. This is the epitome of narcissism. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything that you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook. I've maxed out my friends there. So facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Click on the subscribe button or follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. We will be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. The holiday travel season is now upon us. It came out of nowhere, didn't it? But listen, despite the fact that it comes up so quick, the last thing you want to do is pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. That's why you want to utilize Pirate Christian Radio's longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air, for all of your holiday travel needs. Visit our website first, though, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap and you'll find a promo code there that'll help you save an additional $15 off the cheapo airs already low prices right down the promo code then click on the ad banner and book your holiday travel uh, arrangements uh, using their website very easy to use very inexpensive you save an additional $15 and by visiting our website first and then writing down that promo code a portion of your purchase will go to support pirate christian radio so again piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap write down the promo code code, click on the ad banner, and save lots of money on your holiday travel needs. Oh. 
Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith Sermon Review time. We're going to be heading back up to Minneapolis, Minnesota. To Passion Church. We'll do this right. the ugly we review it all here at fighting for the faith we're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service today's um <laughs> um stream of consciousness um oration <laughs> comes to us via passion church minneapolis minnesota jonathan brozog um presiding i just i i i it's been a while since i've heard a sermon like this this is stream of consciousness speaking, and I could not figure out the center of any of this. But the name of the sermon, just so you know, is "I'm not afraid of the dark." Okay, so okay, so name of the sermon: "I'm not afraid of the dark." This is part three in the sermon series, and you just got to hear it to get it. Um, see if you can figure out what the center of this thing is. Especially early on, it's it's ponderous. It's the only way I can describe it. So, without any further ado, here's Jonathan Brozog, Passion Church, Minneapolis, Minnesota. I'm not afraid of the dark. Part three. Here we go. Who's excited to be here this morning? Come on, Passion. Let's give Jesus a big praise in the house. Come on, we can do better than that. This is for Jesus. Run to him, be declared glory, honor, wisdom, and power. Amen. All right, you got your Bible. Go ahead and get on your feet all over the house. You need a blessing just to be able to stand, right? And uh, get your Bibles. We're going to read a very familiar passage. And um, just before we do that, I want to encourage you to do uh, just a few things. One, I want to encourage you guys to get today's talk. Uh, We put it up. Uh, on our app, and that'll be available when you leave today on your smartphones or tablets. Uh, all that'll be available. Uh, you can also go back and watch today's thriller performance in the service. We typically have that up on Tuesday or whatnot. You can get that off the church Facebook or off our website and uh, share that with someone if you're impressed. Didn't they do a great job? Man, wasn't that awesome? And uh, we'll also put today's sermon notes. So my sermon notes and whatnot, we'll put those on the app. Uh, and that'll be available for you. So you get plugged into one of our talk it over groups, uh, connection groups that meet and they just talk over God's word. So while I'm speaking, maybe God speaks something to you. A great point. Bring it up in one of our talk it over groups. Or if you have a question, bring it up in one of our talk it over groups. But, uh, how many of you are glad for a church that resources you and makes all that stuff available? So it's all there. It's all free. Uh, and, uh, take advantage of all the things that are available to you. The book of second Timothy. It's on page 2,388. Uh, The book of 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 7. Very familiar passage. Uh, Depending on your translation, um, I'll say it out loud. If we all read with all these translations, it'll sound like the Tower of Babel. But uh, also I'll say, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. Everybody shout power. Power. Everybody shout love. Love. 
and a sound mind. Everybody shout sound mind. You sound great. Now let's pray. Father, thank you today for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, that the grass withers and the rose fades away, but your word stands forever. Help us find a hiding place in the counsel of your word today. Anoint me to minister the word with clarity and conviction. We need you today. Make me a better preacher. Make me a better communicator. Make me a better pastor. Continue to make our church better before you make us bigger. God, everything we do today, may it go to bring you honor and make you famous. We recognize that we are some sufficient and you are all sufficient. Have your way in this place today. Touch hearts and change lives. We surrender to you in your awesome name. If you love him, shout amen. Amen. High five two or three people as you're seated. Tell them, please pay me the money you owe me. I take checks, cash, and credit cards, but honestly. So tell the people next to you, pay me the money you owe me? What is that? Honestly now, I need my money. So let's start our talk off with a big God bless you. Let's give God praise one more time all over the house. We like to do that. Let's give Jesus a round of applause. So, uh, you know, church, I believe that we're living in days and times today that we have to just understand that the enemy comes, the Bible says, to kill, steal, and to destroy. And that the enemy is real, that Satan is real, that hell is a real place, and that there are two worlds, the Bible says, coexisting at the same time. The Bible says that God is the God of both of them. It's the visible and the invisible world. And the invisible world is literally more real than the visible world because the invisible world is the parental world from which everything in the visible world evolves. And God says that he's the God of both of them, that we are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. Uh, We are spirit because we're created in the likeness, the image of God. God is a spirit. The Bible says they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, that God is a spirit. And that we have a spirit, I'm sorry, that we are a spirit, we have a soul, that's our personality, our functions, our dysfunctions, our memories, and we live in a body. This is our address right now. This is where we live. Some of our houses could use a little bit of work, a little paint, maybe a remodel, uh, whatever that is. Uh, But um, nonetheless, that's our address right now. That's why when you die, the word death means separation. Your body goes to the grave and your spirit goes, who you are, goes to be with the Lord, whoever your Lord is. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. How many of you are glad your Lord is Jesus? Can I get an amen about that? So, uh, Animals, on the other hand, don't have uh, spirits. They have souls. They have personalities. They have functions, dysfunctions. They have, I don't mean to offend anybody. I know some of you. Uh, okay, just just a reminder. Uh, the Apparently the verse, a single solitary sentence out of context that he's decided to preach on. See, guys like Jonathan Brozog, what we need to do is not allow them to have Bibles with verse numbers so that they get get it that the Bible didn't come with these verse numbers or chapter numbers and that they're supposed to be that the whole content of a particular letter should be taught, not just a sentence. You, you get what I'm saying? But what he's saying, I can't figure out what how it's connected to 2 Timothy 1.7 that says... For God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and self-control. You'll notice something here that that is if you are paying attention to grammar that Second Timothy one seven um, is not a whole sentence. It begins with four. For God 
gave us, which means that there's something preceding it that you know that is the antecedent to the remainder of that thought. You get what I'm saying here. Uh, so I would just start like Second Timothy chapter one verse three. You know, add a little context here. I thank God whom I serve as as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, notice the next word there is, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose with grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began." and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and teacher. The, the thought goes on, but you get what I'm saying here, is that you know, Second Timothy 1 verse 7 isn't even an entire sentence, and he's supposedly preaching on this, but he's not teaching us anything about what this passage says, and I don't know what he's talking about now or how it even relates to Second Timothy one seven. Leaving doggy heaven and cat heaven, and you're hoping, but God has animals there. I don't mean to offend anybody, but but that's why we eat animals because they don't have spirits. Because it'd be awkward to get into heaven and see the cow you ate, and you say, "Well, this is awkward now." And and you know, so so that, but that's why we eat animals. But 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 we are a spirit. And the Bible says, "They that worship Him must worship Him in the spirit and in the truth." And the Bible says that God has not given you a spirit of fear; that it's a spirit that comes against you. He's not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind and god wants you to have a home of peace and safety and refuge from the storms of life maybe you haven't realized it yet or not but joanne i say god wants to give us a whatever of safety from the storms of life that verse doesn't say that it is a lot is that we want the presence of god to be more real in your house than this house we love you but you can't stay here and at the end of the service we want you to go home. More importantly, we want you to want to go home because it's a terrible thing to have to go someplace you don't want to go. Am I right about that? And so one of the things the enemy will do is he'll try to attack your home and attack your house because you can get hell in your church. You're only here an hour anyway. He can get hell in your job. You go home at 430. But when you get problems in your house, you can't escape your house. You got to go there every night. You got to wake up there every morning since you already got hell and job. And if you get problems in the church, now you got nowhere to go. And when you get nowhere to go, then it begins to attack your mind and attack your spirit. And he's out to kill you. But the good news is the devil's a liar. Am I right about that? The devil's a liar. If you That's the good news, that the devil's a liar. Okay. Doesn't sound like great news to me at all. If you participate, this goes better. It's kind of like a middle school dance. If you participate, it goes better. Yeah, people aren't uh, appropriately clapping and applauding him, apparently. He's saying applause lines, and he's not getting it. So get in, get on with it, folks. Start clapping for his applause line slogans that they don't seem like very lucid thoughts to me. But, um, but that's why God told Moses, he said, put the blood on your house. He didn't say put it on your work or put it on your church. He said put it on your house. because <sighs> Really? 
So God told Moses to put the blood on his house because it wasn't his work or whatever. Yeah, you're referencing the story of the Exodus there. You are aware that when the children of Israel put the blood on the door of their house, it was because God was sending the destroyer. That's right. The destroyer who was going to kill the firstborn in the land of Egypt, every single firstborn, unless there was the blood of a lamb sprinkled on the door. This points us to none other than Jesus and the cross, who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Yeah, this has nothing to do with Satan wanting to curse your house or anything like that. You don't know what you're talking about. The death angel's coming after your house. You can work in hell, but you can't sleep in hell. And you've got to have peace in your home. And you-, you can work in hell, but you can't sleep in what? You've got How many of you could use some more peace in your home? Come on, you can use some more peace and love and continuity and agreement at work and with your children. And, and you've got to have a place of safety and turn a house into a home. Because the reality is you'll face storms, you'll face difficulties, you'll face challenges. You'll face storms. The element that the disciples saw Jesus deal with more than any other was storms. He walked on them, sailed through them, slept through them. There will always be. <laughs> this, 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 these are the ramblings of somebody who doesn't even sound like he has a stable brain. Storms. It's immature and lofty of you to think that you'll go through any relationship or any children or have any uh, uh, issue in life where there are no storms. But the good news is you've never seen a storm that stayed. They're staggered. You have a time of peace. You have a time of war. You have a time of good weather. You have a time of bad weather. But if you get so preoccupied in the past storm that when it's over, you keep keep talking about it. When it's gone, you feel like the storm never ceases. But the reality is you never cease because you never put a mark in between what you went through and where you are right now. When When it's bad, you're dealing with the bad. When it's good, you're reliving the bad, talking about it or fussing about it or fighting about it. So it seems like you never have any peace. But the reality is you You've got to put a mark in between what you went through and where you are right now and say, you know what? This is a good day and say whether it's a good day or a bad day. This is- where does the Bible say I need to put a mark through where the, the, the what is the what and the where is the huh? Where are you getting any of this? This is the day that the Lord has made and I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. You've got to choose to be happy. No one can make you happy. You've got to choose to be happy. You've got to choose to say, you know what? I'm going to trust God. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to go ahead and worship. I'm going to go ahead and praise. I'm going to go ahead and read the word of God. I'm going to go ahead and operate in faith. See, the world teaches you to live by your wits, but the Bible says the just shall live by faith. And the Bible says faith calls those things that are not as though they were, which means you can't wait for things to get better before you start acting better. You have to go and act as if they're right while they're still wrong. Oh, man, that's not what that means. That passage that says God, what is it, Romans 4? Hang on a second. Let me pull this up in my Bible. Romans chapter 4. Watch what's going on here. This passage is not saying you need to act like things are right even when they're wrong. That's not what Romans 4 is teaching. Okay, first rules are um, context, 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 okay? So it's Romans 4.17. We heard Joyce Meyer mangle it. Um, So what we're going to do is we're going to start at Romans chapter 4, and uh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start at 4 verse 1. 
Romans chapter 4, verse 1. 17 is our target verse, but I'm going to read so that you can see the context of the argument that Paul's in. And then what we're going to do is we're going to re- keep, I'm going to keep reading past 17 so that you can get the completion of the thought so you can see what's going on here. See if when I read this, if Paul is saying, you need to act like things are okay in your life when they're not because that's what it means to act out in faith so that you can create a positive result or for the whatevers and the who's what's and you get what I'm saying. Romans 4, 1. So what shall we say then was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified, that means to be declared righteous. If Abraham was declared righteous by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him or counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted or credited credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteous apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. So how then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still circumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but also who walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and to his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if the adherents of the law who are, are, are to be heirs, then faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he, Abraham, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith, when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no one belief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. So the question I asked earlier, I'll ask again. Is this passage saying you need to act like everything's okay and then God will bless you? No. This is talking about salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ's work alone. And it's pointing us to the fact that Abraham's faith and trust in God was credited to him as 
righteousness. That's what it means, you know, to be saved by grace through faith. Christ's righteousness, God's righteousness, the righteousness of God is credited to you as if you are righteous by faith. Remember, on the cross, Jesus has your sins. You know, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. But when we are brought to repentance and faith in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, his righteousness is given to us as a gift. That's what's being referenced here. Now, here's the deal. If we're going to trust in God, and the question is what promises of God are we going to trust, we need a sure and certain promise that we can trust God for, right? Well, God has not promised you a cushy life here. God has not promised you your best life now. By the way, beware of such a thing, because if you're having your best life now, then hold on, because hell awaits you when you die. Um, no, instead, what's going on here is, is that this is t- we, the promise that we're to hang on to is that God is reconciled to us because of Christ's shed blood on the cross, that we are forgiven of our sins and that we are reconciled. Our relationship with God is reconciled because of what Christ has done for us. So if you're going to have faith in God, you have to have faith in him for something. Well, have faith in him for the sure and certain promises that he has given you. He hasn't promised to make your life a bed of roses, but he has promised that you will rise again from the dead on the on the last day and that you will be with Christ for eternity. This is These are the promises that we believe God for. This passage is not saying, okay, just go around and act like everything's okay, and then God will bless you and make everything okay. That's not what Romans 4.17 says at all. Am I helping anybody this morning? And, and, and really understand this. I want to give you guys just a couple of points. I'm not going to be before you long. but, but uh, The answer to that question, by the way, was no, not at all. But you've got to deal with, with some things here. And the first point in order to bring in peace and, and love and continuity and refuge into your home is the first point is you've got to trace it. You've got to trace it. You've got to look back and find out why is this happening to me. In any battle, you cannot get the victory if you don't understand the war. You've got to figure out what is the enemy after. And you can tell what he's after by how you respond to the attack. If he sends you into depression, he's after your joy. If he causes you to worry, he's after your faith. If he incites you to riot, he's after your peace. I'm surprised he even let me get to church to tell you this. This is so good. Because once you begin... You got any Bible verses that say any of this stuff? So right now, I mean, if you're struggling with a problem, well, you got to trace it. So, okay, step number one, trace it. Okay understand this you can start discouraging the one that's been discouraging you you can start depressing the one that's been depressing you because you can walk in so strong to where the devil says i don't even know what to do with this joker he's messing up all my plans i tried to get him not to give and he gave some more Uh, uh, right so you're going to defeat the devil Mm -hmm. right what about jesus he's the one who actually defeated him I tried to send him into depression. The dummy's up dancing all over the church. What's the devil to do? I'm losing this battle and start discouraging him and depressing him. That's what the Bible says. Resist the enemy and he will flee. How do you resist him? By going in the opposite direction. If he says sit down, then get up. If he says get up, then sit down. If he says go wondering, you need to get out of the house and stay at home. If he says stay at home, then get dressed and get out of the house. I wish the devil would tell him to teach false doctrine because then he would resist the devil and start teaching sound doctrine house whatever you got to do to resist him to go in the opposite direction so you've got to trace it just as praise and worship is lightning rods for the presence of god as prayer and reading god's word attracts the presence of god that's what god says if two or three of you are i'm there if you call on my name i will be there just as those things attract the presence of god to you there are things that you can do that attract the presence of god really 
they attract the presence of God. Like a, like a bug lamp. Got it. Darkness to your life. There are things that you can do that, that it's not that God curses you. God is not in the business of cursing his children, but there are things that you can do that can bring a curse on yourself. And that's why you need to be careful, not fooling with the demonic. You need to not play with Ouija boards and check your astrology signs and, and, and playing with tarot cards and, and all these kind of things as if you serve two gods, which, which whatever one works for you, that's what you're going to go with. And that's why you got the psychic hotlines on TV. And at the end of it, they got the nerve to say, God bless you. What God? is blessing. What God are you talking about? And so you've got to understand that, that you've got to be a child of God and let your yay be yay and your nay be nay and, and not allow certain things to come into your life. You've got to trace it. If you've got crazy things going on with your children, check the people that they're hanging around. My mama, I mean, my grandmama always used to say that association brings about assimilation, that you ultimately become what you are around. And you'd be surprised how one wrong person in your life. Notice the assumption is you're basically a good person. You just need to cut off the bad people in your life. You're not basically a good person. You're a sinner. It can mess you up. One wrong person in your life can mess you up. You'd be surprised about it. That's why I have four children, and, and when they start uh, wanting to get more friends, they're not just, I'm just not, well, just go find whoever you want. I'm going to have a say in who are my children's friends and who I allow in or not in their life. The devil is a liar. I'm going to have a say in that because I have been in youth ministry and have done youth ministry for over a decade. And I can tell you all the teenagers that I have met with in years who have horrific stories and things and challenges that happen in their life. And most of them start like this. I once had this friend who introduced me to this guy. I once had this friend who invited me to do this thing. I once had this friend who took me to this place. And you'd be surprised how the see, people either build you up or they bring you down. That's why you need to surround yourself with people who are a little bit older than you, who are a little bit smarter than you, a little bit richer than you, who have a little bit better relationship with God than you. If you're the smartest person in your circle, your circle's too small. If you're the wealthiest person in your circle, your circle's too small. If you're the healthiest person in your circle, your circle's too small. My circle's pretty big for that. But, but Where is he getting any of this? None of this is taught in the half sentence that he quoted from from Second Timothy, nor any of the other verses that he references, never really quotes out of context. But but if whatever it is, you, you you've got to begin to expand because people either build you up or they bring you down. That's why you need mentors in your life. Friends love you the way you are, but mentors love you too much to leave you the way you are. Friends love what's wrong with you, but mentors love you too much to, to leave that challenge, that weakness inside of you, and they'll pull you out. They'll pull you out and they'll challenge you to help you become what God would have you to be. The challenge is people with low self-esteem tend to hang around people who are like them because they like themselves. But you have the same strengths, but you also have the same weaknesses, so you disable yourself. Birds of a feather. Trace it. Get to the bottom of it. Find out what's going on. You can read a very interesting story we talked about in Lamentations about how when the children of Israel went into the promised land in certain areas, cities they took over, that, that, the, that the people that were living there, they knew they were going to lose their homes. So they had idols and they cursed them and they hid them in the walls. And Moses said, when you go into the homes, if you see red and green streaks on the walls, that there's a spirit in that house and you need to kill the lamb and put the blood on that and rebuke that spirit that's in that house. Many of you, you're not the first. I'd like you to read that story for us, please. 
Oh, he probably won't, Willie. This isn't a biblical teaching. This is just a stream of consciousness rant. First people to live in your house and, and you need to go in and say, God, this home belongs to you. This is a place where the presence of God will dwell. Your name will be the only name worship in this house. We're not going to fuss and fight and yell and cuss each other out and throw furniture around the room. Furniture we're still paying for. We're not going to rip phones out the walls. We're not going to do that. We're going to have a home where the presence of God can live and the presence of God can dwell. Hallelujah. And you can do it. You don't need me to come and bless the house. These are people call me and come, come bless the house and, and, and sleeping with the girlfriend. Why do you want me to come bless the house so we don't fall when he's crawling out the back window? No, I don't have time for it. You bless it. You, you've got to learn. It, it, your house has to be a house of prayer. This house cannot be a house of prayer if your house is not a house of prayer. And your house will not be a house of prayer if this house is not a house of prayer. The second point you have to do is you have to face it. You have to deal with it. You have to stop faking. And, and Christians love uh, to be phony because we can't afford letting. So first you want to, you got to trace it and then you got to face it. Yeah, okay. Anybody you know we're having a bad day. And, 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 and how you doing today? Blessed. I'm blessed and highly favored and, and whatever it is. But, but you're dealing with challenges and difficulties. So we put wallpaper on and we wear masks to cover it up. But the reality is we've got to face some things. We can't come into church and smile our gums at each other in the old age and then get in the car and cuss each other out. God's not pleased with that. God, I don't, I don't want to fake being happy. I want to be happy. I don't want to fake being in love with my wife. I want to be in love with my wife. I'm tired of the phoniness and the fakiness that we, we have got to be genuine people, people who can be touched by the feelings of other people's infirmities. We've got to face it. We've got to deal with it. And, and, and that's, that's why you got to understand when you get saved, it is a process. You pray to prayer of salvation, but now it's a process in coming to know Christ. Churches uh, for years have taught uh, experience and it is an experience coming to know Jesus, but there is a process. You don't spend 40 years in the world and spend one day in the church and every things all, all good. You don't do that. The Bible says, be not deceived. God is not mocked whatsoever. A man soweth. Am I boring you? Whatsoever a man soweth that shall he. You're not making any lucid sense. Every single time you reference the Bible, it's a verse or a sentence or a half sentence or a sentence fragment ripped from context to support your narrative. That's not how you do Bible teaching. You actually open up God's word and start reading it and keep everything in context. Maybe like start with a gospel text and work your way through it in context. You're not actually teaching the Bible. You're just mangling it, twisting it, and ripping it to shreds. We also reap. So you may have to reap the residual harvest of some things you've sown, but if you start sowing no new seed today, you'll start reaping a new harvest in no time at all. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? That's why away with these, these, these crazy, we don't do these crazy miracle offerings where you bring $20 and throw it down the altar and say, all things are under my feet. Not really, because all while you're dancing, they're driving your car out the parking lot. It took you 20 years to get in debt. It could take you 20 years to get out of debt. See, in church, we do a lot of teaching about how God's going to open doors for you and God's going to make a way for you, but we don't stop to teach people where they are. You're here, and if you want to get there, that's how far and how long it's going to take you. If you go to a hotel and you get to the back of the door, there'll be a map of the building with a big red dot that says, you are here. But if there's a fire, you don't want to know where you are. You want to know where the door is. 
but it does you no good to know where the door is if you don't know where you are in respect to where the door is. And so it's not just that God's going to do this. It's I'm here and God's going to do that. Okay, this is where I've got to go. Do you understand? And anytime God asks you questions before you arrogantly think you can instruct the instructor, you have to think perhaps he's teaching me again. Adam, where are you? Children, have you any meat? Am I the God that I say that I am? Can these bones live again? And God will ask you questions to help direct your mind through the maze of confusion to bring you to a definite answer. Adam, where are you? People spend very little time checking themselves out because they're taught to be afraid. We're always intimidated or afraid of other people. People always have some little plot, some little plan, some little agenda because all of us are sick. Look at the person next to you. Something wrong with them. Notice whoever you're looking at is looking at you, thinking the same thing about you. Look and say, can we all get along? I save you all kind of prayer for the sermon, watching, looking, checking them out, following home in the car. Ain't no need to do that. Something wrong with them. And the funny thing is once people realize something's wrong with you, they leave you. But something wrong with you too. You still live with you. But the funny thing is that God knows every crazy thing there is to know about you and says, yet I still choose you. Yet I still love you. Yes, I still choose you. So we're not cleaning up to yet. It, you're skipping a whole important thing known as the penal substitutionary atonement. Yeah, it's God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. It's not like God's just winking at it and going, yeah, you know, I know you're a schlub, but that's okay. I love you anyway. Uh Uh-uh. We were bought with the price. The price was God's own blood. Get in the kingdom. We're cleaning up because we're already in the kingdom. And you got to stop being afraid of people. I remember when I first came to Minnesota and pastors would call me from over, back where I was from. And they said, well, how do preachers feel about you? I said, well, I don't, I don't know. Well, how do other churches and people, what they saying about you? I said, I, I, I don't know. I mean, from my side, I'm cool. I mean, I'm doing what God called me to do. I guess they're doing what God called them to do. I don't feel offended if you don't invite me out for coffee. I figure you're busy. I'm busy too. Meet you in heaven. I mean, please don't misunderstand that. That. As, a, as not a need for fellowship, but in our need to have affirmation, we've turned churches into social clubs. And if everybody doesn't bow and scrape, we got the nerve to be offended. This is not a sorority. This is an army. This is an army. Am I right? And that's why we have children. We have children's church and all these kind of things because we have to train up our children. The Bible says to train up children the way that we should go. We should not be intimidated about that. Well, nobody taught me and nobody did that, but that doesn't, that's not an excuse to not be able to teach your children. We, nowhere in the Bible are we called as a church to do kids' ministry. We're not called to do that. Find it in your Bible. We're not called to do it. Jesus didn't teach the children. Jesus, Jesus taught the parents and he blessed the children. Y'all want us to teach the kids and bless you. We're not, we'll do it. I, I believe in it. We, we will do it and do it good. But, but you can't leave it up to us. Like, like we're, we're here to teach you, to, for you to teach your children. How smart would your children be if they went to school for an hour a week? That's why they'd be 15 years old, wouldn't know the alphabet. And that's how our teenagers are spiritually when they turn 15. Because our parents do not teach them the word of God. Because you didn't teach your children because mama didn't teach you because grandmama didn't teach her. And so you raise generations of biblical ignorance. And I refuse to pastor an ignorant church. Jesus said, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. 
You can't play around all semester and get down to the finals and, 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 and try and rub the textbook on your forehead and anoint yourself with oil. You can anoint yourself with oil to as greasy as a piece of Kentucky Fried Chicken. It'll make no difference. You've got to get that textbook out and you've got to read it because God's not going to do for you what you can do for yourself. You, if you want to lose weight, you've got to get on that treadmill and lose weight. There ain't no, going to be no fat pills on TV at 2 o'clock in the morning on an infomercial that works. If they actually had a fat pill that worked, it wouldn't be on an infomercial too o'clock in the morning. It'd be on like CNN at 10 o'clock in the morning, Fox News, MSNBC. You've never spent money after midnight. I have no idea what makes this a sermon. Uh, we continue. Night and it was a good investment. You don't need a knife that can cut through a shoe. Save your money. Am I right about it? You got to get that book out. And you got, you can't, I, I tried praying the fat and carbs out of food. You see what happened to me? It don't work. You got to get that treadmill out and you got to read it. You can't go on these, these, I, I got a, a, a high school reunion next week. I got to lose 125 pounds. You was fat in high school. Ain't nobody expect you to be skinny now. Just go on out there. Go on out there fat and give me another cookie. I'm, I'm here. This is who I am. And don't be ashamed of yourself. You got to face it. You got to erase it. My third point, you've got to erase it. You've got to cover it with the blood of Jesus. I know it's old fashioned, but I still believe in pleading the blood. Okay, this is, he's straying into something that sounds close to the gospel. Let's see what he does with it. So you got to trace it. You got to face it. You got to erase it. Okay. I would plead the blood over my house before I let the devil take over my house. I'd plead the blood over my children before I let the devil take my children. You've got to plead the blood over your marriage. There's power in the blood of Jesus. There's power. Well, I agree. Um, what's this pleading the blood thing? Or power, wonder, working power in the precious blood. I mean, the way you're describing it doesn't sound anything like, you know, for the forgiveness of sins. Now we're pleading blood to, you know, fix things in life. Yeah, I got a hangnail. Plead the blood. Yeah, you know. I don't like, I just got a really bad job review. That's okay. Plead the blood. It doesn't seem to fit. Of Jesus. Don't get me talking about the blood of Jesus. Because if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus, these chairs would be empty. There'd be no musicians to sing. There'd be no kids ministry. There'd be nobody up here to preach. It was the blood of Jesus. Maybe you can stray into telling us about the biblical gospel. I agree. It was all about the blood of Jesus that sanctified us and procured us and delivered us and set us apart and set us aside. This is true. And I know it was the blood. One day when I was lost, Jesus died on the cross and I know it was the blood for me. The hymnologist said there is a fountain filled with blood. Y'all don't know this old stuff. Drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood and lose all. Yeah, that all that old stuff. You know who they preached about? Jesus. You know who they sung about? Jesus. Yeah, you know who people nowadays talk about themselves. Who do they sing about? Really, themselves. Their guilty stains. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. There is power in the blood of Jesus. Yeah, there is. Right. And you're quoting a lot of verses and lyrics from songs and different things. Why don't you take some time and, like, you know, open up the Bible and... Show us from God's word what that all means in context. 
And you've got to understand that. You've, 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 got, you've got to say, you know what, we're going to get rid of these things. You've got to get rid of, 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 of betrayal and who left you and who forsook you. And, and you've got to cover that with the blood of Jesus, who left you and who hurt you. And some of you are scared to do what God's called you to do. Some of you are called to get up here and preach and to teach and to sing. And, and, and the reason you have no self-esteem and no self-confidence is because things were spoken to you as a child that left you hurting, left you wounded, and words are... Le- the reason you don't have any self-esteem... Yeah, I, I think that uh, the solution that Jesus came to solve was people with way too much self-esteem. We esteem ourselves way too highly. Lethal, the Bible says that the tongue is the most unruly part of the body. It is terrible, it is lethal, it is deadly, and you can murder with your mouth. And I'm sorry, is not always a good band-aid. And some of you are bleeding to death over things that were spoken to you as a child. The reason you have no self-esteem and no self-assurance, your, your eighth-grade girlfriend told you were ugly. Never mind the fact that she done gone on and gone out and looks like an old beat-up Stroll's beer truck that's been in a car wreck. And you can't do what God's called the devil is a liar. You got to, you got to be able to, it just comes to my mind, I, you, you got to be able to encourage yourself. Yeah, you probably ought not to be preaching the things that just come to your mind. You might want to consider opening up the Bible and actually teaching it in context. This is just one stream of consciousness, non-lucid thought, running on into the next. I can't say all the things that I'm thinking of. Get rid of fear. Get rid of fear. You got to get rid of it. It's, it's it's serious because fear will stifle the thing that God wants to do inside of you. I remember what anybody know about real fear, real fear, anxiety, fear of death, and fear of cancer, and fear and fear of losing your marriage, and fear. I'm, I'm not talking about the kind of fear like when you go to pour a bowl of cereal and the milk's expired, and you you're like, well, I don't know, it's, it's expired, and we'll smell it. What's it smell? It smells like milk. Try it. You try it. I don't want to try it. How did, my question is, how do they know that that's the date? How do they know that's the exact date that, that it expires? I mean, do the cows tip them off? Are they milking the cows? And the cows like June 3rd. You know, how do they know? Probably because there is a consistent rate at which milk spoils in a refrigerator. And time and time again, this... Same period always shows up with at the same time. So it's an observational science thing. Kind of basic. But have you ever tried that? You ever tried the milk after the expiration? It's terrifying. But real fear, real fear. It will grip you. And you've got the only thing stronger than a thought is a word. You've got to speak out against a word. because. Uh, so here we go. Fighting off of the... Terrible thoughts with words, because those words—that's your, the, you know—they're the things that create your future. That's the saving. That's your savior is words. Enemy will come against your mind. The Bible talks about fiery darts of the enemy that come against your your thoughts. And the only thing stronger than a thought is a word. Now you can't deny your present reality, but you have to speak to your future. Mm-hmm. So it's like rock paper scissors. So thoughts are you know those aren't as powerful as words. Words trump thoughts. Is there anything that trumps words? Reality. You can tell God, I am broke, but I believe you're going to provide for me. I believe that you're Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Provider, pro meaning beforehand. Vider is where we get the Latin word for video. That beforehand, God saw what I was going to need to be able to provide for me. Uh, you'd, 
<laughs> Something tells me your linguistic skills are lacking. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Jehovah Nisi, my protector, tector, pro, beforehand, tector, is where we get the Latin word for architect. Beforehand, God saw what I was going to need to build a standard against the enemy, that when the enemy comes in like a flood, God will build my architect. You understand, Jehovah Nisi, my... Now, here here we go. Uh, this is where all the applause lines come in. And this just sounds off. I, just, I, I think his uh, language skills are... Probably not up to snuff. Protector. And God will do it for you. You've got to erase it. You've got to replace it. You've got to replace it with the presence of God. We, we read before in the New Testament about... So we got to trace it. you got to face it. you got to erase it. And now you need to... What? what is, I forget the point. The Bible says that when an evil spirit comes out of a man, that, that it will go looking for someone else to go into. And if it finds not another vessel, it will come back to the place that it left. And if it finds that vessel empty, it will go and get seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And the Bible says it will come back and occupy that person. And the last days of that person will be more evil and more wicked than the beginning. And when God delivers you from anger or fear or or worry or unforgiveness or lust, whatever that is, you need to say, God, fill me with your presence. God, fill me with the presence of God. Fill me with your love. Fill me with your peace. Fill me with your joy because nobody can pull out of you what's not in you. That's why Satan could do nothing with Jesus. He said, the enemy of this world has come against me to try me, but finding nothing I'm not helping you guys. So it's important that you understand that you replace it with the presence of God. You got to understand that that fear is a very, very real thing. And the enemy wants to come to kill, steal, and to destroy those things in your life. You've got to be able to have forgiveness because people are going to hurt you. People are going to wound you. People, how many of you have ever been hurt in church? Raise your hand. You've been hurt by church. Raise your hand. Put it up. Look around. Yeah, the people there are being hurt in that church by this nonsensical, non-lucid non-biblical stream of consciousness thing that's masquerading as a sermon. Look around. You ain't the only one. And if your hand's not up, keep coming. Just keep coming. It's that simple. It's all you got to do. You're going to get hurt. Now, off in the background, these already they've already started up the sappy music. This is to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit's now come to do business with people there at the church. Right? But the Bible says that we have to guard our hearts. You cannot give people the authority to move you from where God has placed you. And you've got to be able to forgive. And the Bible says if we don't forgive others, our Heavenly Father will not forgive us. You can read about it in Matthew chapter 18 of a man who owed money to the king. It would be as equivalent today of owing. Yeah, are you too busy to actually teach the biblical text there? I'm curious. $2 million to the IRS. And the IRS forgiving you, which would be a miracle. And, and he, he had a guy who owed him the equivalent of $54. And he wouldn't forgive him. And the king came back and said, we forgave you $2 million. You wouldn't forgive this guy $54? And he threw him in prison. See, we've got to be able to have a grace to forgive people. Because the reality is we're all in a process of becoming what God would have us to be. It's a process. Ecclesiastes 9.16 says, Wisdom is better than strength, and all that getting, get an understanding. Most of us wouldn't need all the miracles that we're asking God for if we had the wisdom for it. 
You wouldn't need God to help you all the time financially if you had the wisdom how to handle your money. So let me see. If we, if we just had wisdom, well, then we wouldn't need to be saved. Man. What? I mean, seriously, you nearly steered into a coherent preaching of the gospel, but you totally came up short there. What was Jesus doing on the cross again? I'm curious. You wouldn't need God to heal you constantly with miracles if, if you had the wisdom to take care of yourself. It's funny, I go to Benny Hinn Crusades and I'll see people waiting in line for 24 hours. You, you go to Benny Hinn Crusades. That explains everything. You think Benny Hinn is real. Do you also think that, well, wrestling on television is real? <sighs> yeah, do, do you believe in magic beans? I'd like to sell you a few. Healing, but they won't get on a treadmill for 10 minutes. God won't do for us what we can do for ourselves. If you do the difficult, God will do the impossible. Do you have a biblical passage that says that God won't do for you what you can do for yourself? One would suffice. God does the impossible. God gives you raw materials. Everything God gives you is in seed form. You ask God for an, uh, you ask God for an oak tree, he gave you an acorn. You say, God, I you for an oak tree. He said, oak tree's an acorn. In fact, if you've got enough faith, there's a forest in acorn. God doesn't make coffee tables. God makes trees. What's harder to make? The trees. Well, Jesus is God in human flesh, and he was a carpenter. What do you think he did? Some of y'all are like, I don't know. The tree. <laughs> go, make the tr- go make a tree. I don't know. The very cool verse in in the Bible, James three sixteen, talks about anytime there's envy and strife, that there's confusion in that home. And it says every kind of evil spirit is welcome in that house. You know what attracts Satan to a home quicker than anything else is a husband and a wife arguing, fussing, turmoil envy, strife between a husband and a wife. There's confusion in that home. The Bible says every kind of evil spirit is welcome in that house. We need to pray together. Husbands, fathers, we have the spiritual authorities for our home. It's not our wife's responsibility to say, hey, let's pray, let's read the word, let's go to church. It's our responsibility. We have the vision. God never healed a blind woman in the Bible. Anybody who had healed of their sight was a man. Your vision is in your head. You are the head of the house of a crisis, the head of the church. And the What kind of convoluted nonsense is this? You're not qualified to teach preschoolers. Good night. And the disease that Jesus healed more than any in the Bible was blindness. And when he healed a man, he sent him back home because a blessed man produces a blessed house. You can read about it in Matthew when Jesus came to the tombs of Gadarenes. There was a man possessed by demons, legions of demons. No one demon left him like that. Jesus said, what is your name? They said, legions, battalions of demons, marching in synchronized, systematic order to possess him. He was cutting on himself with a knife. He was living in the tombs amongst the dead. They tried to retain him, restrain him. He would not be restrained. And Jesus cast all the demons out. But the demons said, suffereth not to leave the region, Jesus. Because Satan wants to control regions areas you can just go i can just oh man 
seriously, if you know anybody that goes to this church, get them out of there quick. This is utter nonsense. Name cities, and you can you would name the sin over that city. Because Satan wants to control areas. They said, we'll leave the man, but suffer us not to leave the region. They said, we got a stronghold in this area. And they went into the pigs. They said, let us go into the pigs. The pigs didn't even want them. The pigs jumped off the cliff and committed suicide. Drowned in the water. And then everybody got mad at Jesus because he, he said he killed the pigs. You can't help the church people. And, 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 and the man is now free, clothed, the Bible says, in his right mind at the feet of Jesus. They were all amazed. And he wanted to be the 13th disciple, wanted to follow Jesus. Jesus sent him home because a blessed man produces a blessed house. One of the worst things that you can get connected to, sisters, is not a weary man, is not a broke man, is not an ugly man. One of the worst things you can connect yourself to is a man with no vision. Is a man with no vision. What does this have to do with the healing of the demoniac? Good night. uh, This guy is is an argument all by himself for random drug screening of all pastors. Because you can't be a helpmeet to someone that's blind because you can't follow them because you can't. They're not thinking any further than you can help them. so good there was nothing good about that it's just flat out just something you spun out of your head and it has nothing to do with god or what he's revealed in his word one of the one of the best things you can have sisters is a wise man because riches come and go but if you get a hold of wisdom wisdom will stay with you wisdom's old wisdom will be there when chips are up and when chips are down find somebody wise now, you can read, I'm talking about knowledge, because you can read up knowledge, but you cannot read up wisdom. The Bible says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. He can have more degrees than a thermometer. It don't mean he's got wisdom. That's why you got people with 12 degrees and can't get a job, because they ain't got no wisdom. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Let him be broke. You know, Jesus warns about what happens to the blind person who's being led by a blind person. Yeah, that's a warning against somebody like... Jonathan Brozog. He's so blind, he has no clue what the Bible's about, and yet he's a pastor, a visionary pastor at that. Thinks that Benny Hinn is a real healer of God, and he's, I mean, this is just a mess. You follow this guy, you're both going to end up in the pit of hell. But let him be wise. He could be ugly, but let him be wise, because if he's wise, he could dress over top ugly. The stupid shows through anything. Whatever you put on stupid, it shows up every time. Find somebody wise. You you go in life, you you get you get to the point where, where you value other things. You know? You, you value other things. Attraction is typically the first thing, but it's not the most important thing. And as you go in life, you, attraction is not, not nearly as important as it as it once was when you were younger. Everybody, if everybody in this room lives long enough, everybody's gonna be ugly one day. One day you're not gonna have it going on. And, and I already told Joanne, I said, you know, you need to enjoy this while it lasts. I'm not always going to be like this. So get all you can. Limited time offer. I, I told her, I said, you didn't marry Chippendales, Dan. You married a Chips Ahoy dancer. I said, I am throw down. 
So get all you can. And, but I told her, I said, I want, I'm now, I'm at a point where I'm on, you know, when you start to turn, I'm starting to be 34 next month. And, and, and I, I know that that's young to a lot of you and that's older to some of you. I feel like God's made me as a bridge to kind of reach both generations. Cause I know about I'll fly away and keep me near the crawl. Reach, reach him with what? Nonsense? But I also know about the apple bottom jeans and the boots with the fur. So God's kind of got me like a bridge. And, and we can help, you know, both both aspects there. And, and I told her, I said, I, I, I want, I just start to get pains now. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You just start to get pain. You didn't even do anything. You wake up and say, did I do something yesterday? No, it just hurts. It just hurt. And I told her, I said, I, know, I now want a wife that is my nurse. I just want a wife that's a nurse that can take care of me as I get older and give me pills that I need and pray for me and anticipate my needs and those kind of things. You want a nurse as you get older. Come on, guys. Any older guys in here know what I'm talking about? You just, you want a wife that can help take care of you. And some of y'all, you know, you see these six-year-old guys with these 20-year-old girls. They, she don't love you. She want your money. She wants you to die. And if you keep fooling with her, you're going to die. You, you're 70 years old and you're a 20-year-old girl. You, she going to die. That's why I want a woman who's my nurse that, if say, I'm old one day and I get all stroked out in fear and I'm having a stroke and everything. And, and she looking at me like, what's wrong? What on earth does any of this have to do with God's word? I, I can't see any connection whatsoever. This isn't preaching. With you, what's wrong with you, Jamal? Look, I, 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 I want, I want her to look at me and be able to say, "Here's your pills. Take your pills. No what? But if you marry a young girl, you're gonna be stroked out for the rest of your life because she didn't know the signs of stroke. And now you're gonna be up in some nursing home, and, and, and she's gonna be asking for your house because you can't live there no more. Huh? Joanna, be like, look at me. I'll get you through this. Look at me. I love, I love my wife. We'll be eight married, eight years. This month, eight years, four children, uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cuatro children. And they're all terrorists. Every one of them, every one of them is secret Al Qaeda. And it's challenging. Any parents in here got children? You need the, you need God. I can survive. I got, my daughter, Isabella, she gets up every day, full-time job, and her job is to hide stuff. And she does. She just gets up. She starts walking around the house. And, and oh, here's Dad's keys. Here's his phone. Throw those over there. Good luck finding that. And, uh, and you go to her, and you're like, Isabella, where's the keys? She's like, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. You know? And, and just Penelope, she's she's, our, she's an infant. She's only like six weeks. She stared me in the face all last night, wide awake, snoring and snotting and crying and carrying on. And I was like, go to sleep ah! with mommy. Yeah, this is what I need to hear during the time when the pastor is supposed to be preaching God's word and teaching it and teaching sound doctrine. I can't even get to Joanne. She's like there. Just crying. She's like, what do you got to do? You want to fight? You want to fight me? What do you got to do? You got to get up tomorrow. You got to get in front of people. You got to talk. Get your thoughts together. I got nothing to do. She's sleeping right now. Challenging. And Alexander, he's like my negotiator. 
you know, I was, he's got, he wants to every day, every day, you know, on the way to school, he's riding with me. He wants to play with my, um, my iPhone. He wants to watch Netflix, Netflix. Kids today have Netflix. And I was like, you have no idea how awesome that is. You understand what it was like when I was growing up? First of all, we had beta, VHS, these kind of things. And we didn't have cable. We didn't have cable. You know, you had a television with, with one big knob with like 12 channels on it. And another one with like 5,000 channels that did nothing. And the whole reason you had children was so that you could have a remote control. Go up and turn the channel, boy. He has no idea. And I'm going, he's in the back seat and he's like, Dad, put, put Power Rangers on. I'm like, I, I can't find Power Rangers right now. Something's wrong with Netflix. And he's like, he's like, just hit that other thing. And I'm like, I tried that. He's like, just do the best that you can. Just, just do the best you can. Has anyone figured out what the sermon's about? I have no clue. Who are you? Do the best that I can. It's challenging. You know, you, you need the grace of God to be able to do it. You know, I discipline all of them. We had, I got spanked growing up. We didn't have time out. We had time in. Let the bell ring when you were in. Let's go. That's how it was when I grew up. That's just how it was. But, you know, it's, it's different people. Don't, don't hit your children. Teach them to hit. Teach them to sit down. That's what it does. Because if you don't teach them in four weeks, you can't teach them in four years. You can't teach them in 14. God knows you can't teach them in 40. Because you didn't teach that little crumb snatcher obedience while he's running around your kneecaps. And they'd have been trouble with the school. They'd have been trouble with the law. They'd have been trouble with the police. The Bible says, train up children the way that they should go. That when they're old, they will not depart from the faith. My mama had three children. She didn't child. That requires you to actually, you know, teach them the Bible in context. You know, the real whole stories thing, you know, real full passages. Not this ripped out of context nonsense. <sighs> How she house-proofed a child. She knew, we had rooms we weren't even allowed in. Does anybody know about that? You weren't even allowed in the living room. We would like run to the edge and look in. I'm going to go in there one day. I'm going to sit down. You weren't even allowed in the room. I see kids today tell their mom no and shut up and I hate you. If I told my mom to shut up, I wouldn't even be here today if I told my mom. I'd be in glory. My mom would say things like, I'll kill you and tell God you died. I thought she could do it too. She said, I'll have another one. They won't even know you're gone. He'll go, he'll send your seat tomorrow. They won't even miss you. I thought she could do it. So we teach our children. Teach our children obedience. We teach them the word of God. They need you. They're counting on you. Well, you ain't teaching anybody the word of God this morning. Um, okay. Counting on you. So whatever it is that we're dealing in life, we're going to pray. I'm having my band come on out. We're going to pray. But whatever it is that we're dealing with in life today, that's fear. Because some, some of us really have a real fear of our finances. Fear of losing jobs. Fear of being able to pay our bills. Whatever it is. Some of us in here have, have some health issues. And it's creating some anxiety or fear. Some of us, maybe we're dealing with marital issues or relational issues or issues with our children, whatever. Uh, issues like non-lucid thinking and inability to preach a biblical text. Whatever that is, I want you to know that God wants to give you power, love, and a sound mind. 
How many of you would like to receive that today? Power, love, and a sound mind, right? So, You ain't exactly the poster boy for that. I don't want anybody to leave here today dealing with fear when God is here and he wants to free you of that. The Bible says, he whom the Son is set free is what? Free indeed. Free indeed. Did you get something out of this today? You guys, re- No, not a single thing, except for confusion. Receive that word? Say, I receive that? Yeah, I don't receive any of it. I don't, that might be a virus. All right, so there was I'm Not Afraid of the Dark, Part 3, uh, Jonathan Brozog, Passion Church, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and uh, yeah, no, I don't know what that was. And there are a ton of churches out there where they think this equals preaching. That's not preaching. That's not teaching. That's not biblical teaching or anything. That's just diarrhea of the mouth. If you have a pastor that's doing this, you need to rebuke him, get him to repent, and if he won't, you need to find a different church. It's really that simple and that extreme. You need to hear the gospel, and you need God's word. You need real pastors and real shepherds, and guys like Jonathan Brozog ain't. So what'd you think? I'd love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith. You can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com. You can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> 